Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Tony. And this is Making It in Asheville. A podcast where the two of us sit down, typically with an Asheville local, learn about what they're making and how they are making it in Asheville. And in today's bonus season one episode, season one bonus episode? I think that's probably the better way to say it. We are talking about season one's big idea. The single idea that's kind of like burnt its way into our brains, hearts, minds um, throughout the entire season. And uh, we're going to share with you like its concept and how we've been testing and exploring it. So it's called the trusted advisor theory. We, we've we been writing about it and posting about it uh, probably for the past month or so. So um, this might be new to some of you. This might not be new to some of you. If you follow us on Instagram, that's where we first kind of posted about it. And uh, by like a landslide, it has been our number one most engaged with Instagram post. And then it's become a pretty well appreciated blog post, and now it's becoming a podcast episode. So uh, we'd love to kind of break down what this trusted advisor theory is, how uh, it's shown up both in the podcast season so far and also in Asheville, um, and then leave you with what we've identified as seven ways to... uh, execute i guess against this theory in your own world and in your own business perfect yeah let's dive into it let's start with instagram so uh if you were to by chance uh go to your phone and open up instagram the app and then look up making it in Asheville, the instagram account you would see just a couple thumb swipes away uh, a really cute picture of what color is it green background and a white piece of paper. And that image is our most liked, commented, engaged with image. And that image is of a, um, just kind of like a list of bunch of things to do in Asheville. And we found it, saw it at East Fork, right in downtown. And our minds kind of exploded by what a cool gesture that is by East Fork. Number one, East Fork is super well known. So it was it was surprising to see this list of uh, restaurants and things to do and even other uh, potters that they recommended um, all on this list right here. It, it kind of seems counterintuitive. Like, wait, what? East Fork is sending people away from their store to go to other places in town, including other uh, pottery makers and ceramic artists. Um, and it sort of sparked this idea that we already knew to be true, but we wanted to dive more into, and it's called the trusted advisor theory. Or at least that's what we call it. Right. It has many names, and there are many ways to describe it. But the idea is that uh, you as a business or you as a person position yourself as a true trusted advisor, someone who puts the quality of advice that you are sharing as paramount, whether that means that someone it becomes your customer or goes somewhere else for whatever they actually need. Uh, The thing that you care most about is serving the uh, 
I don't know, guest, serving the, the listener with what is the highest form of service. Yeah, exactly. And I think we also saw this in a couple of other ways throughout the podcast season. Um, I know episode four with Gilly Roberts, uh, we talked a lot about she she admitted to us, she was like, I'm not a great salesperson. And we were like, what? Why? And she's like, well, I often send people away from my store when they're looking for something um, in the sort of eco-friendly realm. Her store is called Where. It's one of the most eco-friendly retail stores in town. Um, and so, you know, she kept going on about how she people would come to her looking for a specific product or a specific solution for their eco, you know, sustainability and eco-friendly journey. And a lot of times she would, you know, recommend something else or recommend that they not buy something from her shop um, because it truly didn't fit their need. And we found this to be fascinating because we were like, wait, it's not about the sale. You know, it's not about making money right now. And uh, that's something that, you know, really rung true to her ethos yeah and reading the quote from <laughs> our post uh she continues and says uh if the goal is sales you know uh, it can be good in the short term but long-term success is very much based on trust and that is something that we completely agree on that um sure in the near term you could you know she could convince her guests her shoppers that the thing, the widget she's selling solves the exact need that they say that they have. Um, but if it doesn't, like, why would they come back and ask for more help? Why would they come back and um, try and solve the next problem there? They wouldn't because she's lost an opportunity to build trust uh, with that customer. And so if there is a better solution, uh, she knows to point people towards it so that when they have other questions, they come back and ask her. And eventually, uh, she'll have something that is the right fit. Um, and then she can, I guess, capitalize or, or you know, earn that revenue. But uh, it is most certainly, this trusted advisor theory is most certainly uh, a long game. You're playing for the long-term value and long-term success of both your business and your your brand. Yeah, and I think it's it's a it's quite intuitive, right? In the sense that every time you go into a store and you you encounter like a pushy salesperson, you're probably less likely to buy from them, right? Like if they're just pushing you to sell, you can, people can smell that. People can sense when someone's just trying to get them to buy something, even if it's not the right fit versus someone who's truly looking out for your your you know best um best interest interest yes yeah. exactly thank you that word um so we thought that that was very interesting and i also think it's interesting and we haven't talked about it yet but the idea that you see a lot of this playing out in the you know seo world in the sense that people become you know authorities on a particular topic and they're building trust with their readers um, by writing, you know, articles and blogs and creating valuable content that is useful to their readers. Um, and then over time, that, that can actually build up trust to to make a sale if it is the right fit. Totally. Yeah, I don't think that this is, uh, you know, uh, exclusive to physical brick and mortar world. I think that the idea of being 
a honest resource is, um, you know, kind of just transcends. It's, it's just a, it's a truth. It's a truism that if you can be uh, the first thought in someone's mind for where should I go if I have this type of a problem or this type of a question, um, that is always a good thing. Yeah. And, and that is uh, something that you can work towards uh, both in person and online, certainly. I mean, I think back to um, a couple of years that I spent in retail sales um, and a, you know, a shorter stint than that in, um, in like working in restaurants. And the reality is that uh, one of the absolute best things you can do is tell someone, I don't actually love how that looks on you. Like it normally, I, I thought it was going to look better than that. Right. Let's go over here. Let's try this other thing. And if that other thing happens to be cheaper, like you are, that's amazing. They're like, whoa, this guy isn't just pushing anything on me. Isn't just saying yes. Yeah. And, and this thing is less expensive than the other thing. I, I like that is, um, uncommon in a lot of ways, uh, because when you work for commission or when you're working for a tip, um, you know, the version one of logic says you want to make the sale as big as you can, um, this first time because they might never come back again. And I think that our logic on this trusted advisor theory is that if you serve powerfully in that first at bat, they'll come back and they'll continue to come back if you continue to show up in that way. Yeah, exactly. And I love that example. And I know another example that we talked about was, and I think everyone can relate to this, when you go to a restaurant and you ask the waiter or, or the server, you know, what do you recommend on the menu? And they recommend to you the highest priced the item. Flamingo mignon and lobster the, tails. Yeah, exactly. The surf and turf, whatever. And it's the most expensive item on the menu. And you're like, BS. <laughs> I want what you really want, you know, because you know that they're just trying to get their higher tip that way. Yeah. And it could be their favorite, but the likelihood of that is like not high. So we always love it when a waiter or server recommends something that is not the highest priced item on the menu just because it simply is their favorite and, and they, you know they tell you why they love it and it feels genuine and then we feel like okay they just told us the secret of this place yeah and and it's kind of it's i want to say it's a shame but it might not be it's just whether or not the surf and turf is the best thing on the menu i think people are wired to raise an eyebrow and be like, hmm, that's so peculiar that the most expensive thing is also the best thing. Um, and knowing that as a salesperson or as, you know, in service, it would take a lot of kind of nuance to deliver um, a wider selection of favorites and say, and I know that this one is like a bank breaker, but if you love buttery richness our lobsters are, and you have to go into some detail about why this lobster is yeah. so great yeah. and what kind of filet mignon it is um, and say, I know it's not for everybody, but like really for seventy two ninety nine, uh, it's actually a pretty incredible value. These things were, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Um, but if you just say the surf and turf, I say, I'm never asking this guy a question again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It has, to, it has to be genuine yeah. for sure. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah, I think that we've we've kind of explained this theory and, and, and why we think it's important. But 
I think uh, the other important aspect is that it is accessible to anybody and, and everybody, and it doesn't really cost anything. To pull off, you don't need a website for this. You don't need an email marketing service. You don't need uh, a logo um, to become positioned as somebody's trusted advisor. In fact, I suspect that you probably already are somebody's trusted advisor in some space. And now um, we have some points or theories or parts uh, that we are using or we are testing uh, to hopefully grow our own position as trusted advisors. And so we're going to share these seven ideas with you and um, talk through some ways that uh, we all can test this out there in the wild. Perfect. So idea number one is share what you genuinely love. Um, this this applies really easily to social media just because that is, you know, one of the number one sharing platforms. Um, but it, it could be also, you know, an email, a letter, a word of mouth. But telling other people about things that you genuinely love whether it's sharing someone others, someone else's social media post, someone else's photo, uh, an article that you read, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, sharing that with others and saying, hey, I really enjoyed this and I think you will too, is a really you know easy way to, to build trust and to let other people know that you're interested in yeah. these things. I, uh, the, when we say that, one of my favorite examples of it is a longtime friend of mine, Michelle Baker, who now lives in Sweden, but her Instagram account um, used to be like very, very, very small. And I don't know how big it is today, but she is constantly sharing just like the most beautiful thoughts, theories, writings, posts from people that I would never see. And like, I try while I try not to be on Instagram all the time. I am almost always going to go out of my way if I if she doesn't like show up in my feed to see what Michelle has shared in a, you know the last twenty four hours. Um, and I am certain that her following has grown, and if not exponentially, um, with a depth that is very important. Like people who have found her. Uh, I think are so deeply aligned with who she is and what she has to provide because she is constantly sharing what she loves. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think you see it a lot with um, Gilly from where as well. I know that her Instagram is full of sharing other people's posts and quotes and ideas on sustainability. And she sort of built a tribe around this particular topic and, and becoming an authority on it um so it's been really interesting to watch that in action as well cool so share what you love in conversation and online all right so point number two is to identify when you're not the right fit yeah and this i mean in the retail space this is hey skinny jeans aren't right for you yeah you know and i only sell skinny jeans um, here are a couple other places that I know in the mall or online that uh, are going to work with your calves. You have incredible calves. People kill for your calves. I just, you know, our jeans don't fit right. your calves. Yeah, exactly. That's a perfect example. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's it sounds silly to even say this, but it's if you're not the right fit, just let people know. Yeah. You know, like if 
someone's coming to you and they're like, I only have a budget of X, Y, and Z and your price is much higher and you know that they're never going to, you know, reach that, tell them in the beginning, recommend someone else. Oh, for sure. Especially when it's a budget thing. Yeah. Because that's a waste of just uh, everybody's time. And one, you know, it, it, it is powerful in a lot of ways to, uh, to say no very gently, but also uh, certainly that you're not the right fit because of a budget thing. It just shows that you're not, you know, this isn't a negotiation. This is just, I know how much I'm worth, but here are people that are, you know, closer to your price range. If you have relationships, a, like a proper intro or say, Hey, tell them Tony sent you, um, all makes that transition even smoother and sets you up to be the person that, or the business that, um, that specific customer tries to save money to work with or, um, knows when they meet other people or know people who have the budget that's required to work with you they go this guy must be the real deal because he didn't even pretend like i could have worked with him knowing that you know where my budget is yeah yeah exactly and 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 this is a little bit off topic but it also i think prevents having the wrong type of customers right if someone is not the right fit you don't want you don't want a customer that that you don't want (laughs) <laughs> that sounds you don't silly, want a customer that you don't want ain't that the truth yeah um it's it, it recipe for disaster um and that just kind of i don't know if we need to say more about that but almost always if you bend to meet a a price point that someone's asking for um you're on the road to bending for a lot more requests and uh and having a lot more issues than someone who says, I'm going to pay a premium. I'm glad to. I know that it's going to be great. And, you know, walks into your relationship with the thought that everything's going to be great. Yeah, exactly. So two is send pe- or um, two is identify when you're not the right fit. Three is send people away. And these are comparable, but different. I think one is speaking to the sense of awareness, like knowing that this person isn't right for me. And the, Next, number three is being able to actually point them in the direction of someone yeah. else. Yeah. So I, I think this is this takes time, and, and y- over time you will learn where you can send people to. Um, you know, if you're not the right fit, knowing who could be is a great way to be a valuable resource for other people. But you might not have that in the very beginning when you're starting out, I think. Sure. Yeah. And I think that doesn't necessarily mean that you should just punt them away or say, you know what, I'm not the right fit. Uh, Door closes. The concept here is that you are willing and able to do whatever is reasonably Uh, available to you to provide the highest level of service to this person the 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 concept is that if your service that you provide as a business is not the right fit you should still serve them but you're just pointing them somewhere else yeah and so there's a difference between saying i don't provide what you want and saying i don't provide what you want but 
I was able to do some research and you're in Topeka, Kansas. And the closest thing that I was able to find after a couple minutes that would be in your area and seems like they have is this person. Um, I'll send, here's a Google link again, next time you're in Asheville, you know, you already know me, just reach out and I'll make sure that, you know, it's a, there's a level of service that you can provide that doesn't take a ton of time and shows that you care uh, above and beyond, I'd say, what is expected. Um, and doing those things consistently is the difference maker for that long-term value. And you kind of got to trust it because you're not going to see ROI. Um, but I, I feel like all the people that we've talked to this season have kind of embodied that. So I don't think this is a secret. I just think that sometimes it can be a pain in the butt. And what we're trying to do is like, systemize it right yeah exactly and i think the point that you said that you won't see in our you won't see in return on your investment initially and you may never see a return on this investment of sending people away in in individual instances right but in aggregate exactly and i think you know by doing that you might have other people that will start to recommend you because they'll say oh tony from whatever recommended me, I'm going to recommend them in the case where I'm not the right fit. To, um, and it also might mean that that person that you did send away comes back and, and recommends other people to you. There's just, there's so many sort of uh, branches that could come off of this point. So point number three, send people away. Point number four mm-hmm. is to give away what you know. Give away what you know free. Yes. So I think the idea here is that being an authority of knowledge in a certain space can be equally as valuable as the product or the service that you sell. Yeah, and I think that I I would say that your product and service that you sell is built on the foundation that you are an authority in the space. Uh, and there are very, very few instances I would, I'm struggling to find an example of one where I think hoarding the information, hoarding the knowledge in this space makes you in better position to be an authority. Um, yeah, I think that um, almost, and I, I don't have an example of a time where holding on to the information, uh, hoarding it. And not sharing it actually makes you position better. Ooh, I have an example. Let's hear it. I have two examples. Okay. You know when like a chef has a secret recipe? Yeah. And they refuse to give it away because they're like, oh, I don't want somebody to, yeah. to you know, recreate my dish and then profit off of it. Uh, I think this can work in kind of two ways. Because on the one hand, it builds this sort of sense of, ooh, there's something secret going on here and I have to go there and it's very exclusive and it builds this air of mysteriousness around the chef. But on the other hand, if you share the recipe, people might just love you all the more for it. Yeah, and I would argue that, um, I would argue that that sits in a little bit of a gray space because it's one thing to be Coca-Cola and say like you can't, no one's allowed to have the recipe to right. Coca-Cola. And they have a whole legend behind it where, you know, they keep the recipe stored right. away in a vault and people go and visit the Coca-Cola Museum so they can learn more about it. Right. And it's one thing if you're the heir to a family Italian pizzeria and no one knows exactly what's in your sauce. But everyone knows 
loosely what's in your sauce. Right. And what, I'm, what we're saying, what I'm trying to say is that, yeah, basil's in the sauce. Yeah, a little like garlic is in the sauce. You don't have to say the exact ratio, but I'm saying like if you show up as someone who thinks that sharing your knowledge, sharing your content, sharing your special sauce recipe is going to, you know, uh, destroy your business. I, I mean, I just, I'm calling a, a lot of BS on that. Like if you're going to come in the house and, uh, you know, uh, appraise our walls for painting and I, and like, I ask you questions and you're like, well, I'm sorry, I can't tell you the answer to that. It's just, it's going to be $5,000. I mean, how is that trust building? It's not. Yeah. And the re- but the reality is too that even if you did even if the chef did share his secret recipe, people would still go to the restaurant because of I don't have to make this at home. Oh. I you know get the level of service. I get it served in the atmosphere that it was meant to be served in, and so on. A hundred percent. And how do chefs make money and build fame and have uh, you know a business card that grows? It's by putting out cookbooks, and so. It, Yes, potentially there is a mystique and a my- like something mysterious about having a secret recipe, but to have that mystery be worth anything, you need an audience to build an audience. You need to share. Yeah. Right. So like, it's a, a. I'm sure that all the recipes and all the cookbooks that we have here, um, some are probably very exact and and built to be as clear as possible. Others are approximations. And like at the end of the day, to be a good cook, you got to be able to you know, play with that delicate balance of flavors. Um, to build an audience, you need to be able to, to share your expertise. Um, that expertise kind of helps you build the business. And, and build trust. And build trust. And yeah. so the closer you can be to sharing your actual recipes, I think, the better. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Also, I, this is just a caveat. I think that information is trending towards um, zero marginal cost. And no one is going to be able to build a business on knowledge alone when you can Google, hey, how do I make uh, X? And p- it, the information is there. Right. So yeah. you need to differentiate on something other than information. Right. We live in a world where information is almost free. Um, everyone's connected to the internet. To be expert, it's more than the information. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that's a, a really important point as well. Cool. So number five Mm. is deliver on your promises, which sounds like the simplest and most uh, no brainer thing to do. But we felt like this was super important for building trust because it takes only one wrong move to to blow your trust, which is not delivering on your promise. Yeah. And I think that this is... um this is potentially something that if you are trying to work into a space where you don't or you're not actually an expert yet, this is a pretty good place to start. And that is um, if you say something, you know, say that you're going to do something, just do that thing. So, hey, yeah, I'll introduce you to Sharon. Make that introduction to Sharon. Uh, you know, I'll do X, do X. And um, if you're, let's say, in an apprentice type position, this is a big change. So you're not the expert. If you want to uh, grow, I I guess, and acquire the respect of experts, the single best thing you can do is do what you say you're going to do 
for them, with them, to them, and uh, and you'll gain their respect and eventually their information, their knowledge, and, and will be passed to you, and then you can share it to everyone else. But it's, it's, it's actually, I think it's a lot harder to do what you say you're going to do for most people than, than not. And so when someone actually shows up on time all the time, uh, over-communicates, tells you what they're working on, does what they say they're going to do, like that is such a breath of fresh air that uh, I think it's, it positions you to be uh, a trusted resource, whether or not it's an advisor, um, a trusted resource for everyone that's around you. I agree. I mean, it's it's almost like the the opposite, you know, don't break your promise. That's it's that yeah. simple. Yeah. yeah. And so to keep it in the simple posi- but hard. Simple to do. but hard, yeah. To keep it in the positive, uh, be accountable. Yeah. Awesome. So moving on to number six. Only speak positively. And and when we say this applied to a business sense, we mean don't talk shit about your customers about other competitors in the market or your partners or anybody else for that matter um we have noticed this at some instances in Asheville. i mean it's just i mean we notice you notice it anywhere and i i just think that the, the point here is um it's helpful to always be positive when I say something, if I give a bit, a bit of advice and the advice comes with some sort of caveat that, oh, but they suck at this or, oh, but they're bad at that, um, a la the, oh, I happen to recommend the most expensive thing on the menu, everything that I just said gets shaded with a, well, do they have some sort of grudge with this guy? Like, why are they talking smack on this other business? Yeah. And and I think it discredits most of what you've said. You can say anything you want about a business, positive or negative. I mean, that choice is going to end up being yours. But I think that it says something when you say, hey, they're really great at this. But if you want this, you probably should go somewhere else. You should go here. Right. And it's different than saying, but they suck at this. Or like, but yeah. their but their you know wait staff is terrible, or um, but it, the food always comes out like erratically and sometimes it's cold, you know. All, all you have to say is like, I really love their X. Um, if you're into really consistent dining, probably should go somewhere else. Yeah, and I think it's it's one thing to be have constructive criticism of a place. And like you see, so you talk about a restaurant, and I think it's one thing to say, like, you know, I love their burgers. You know, they have a, a great duck on the menu, but it's not my favorite. Yeah. It's not the thing that I love the most about it. You know, it, it, that's kind of different than saying, oh, yeah, well, their chefs can't cook duck. You know, like that's that's a little bit more negative and throwing shade on the person and the people versus, you know, it's just not for me. It's not my cup of tea. That's different. And, and even then, I mean, there's it, we don't have we didn't build out perfect examples for this uh, specific topic. But the I think the takeaway here is that whenever possible, you know, use only positive language about places and if someone says 
oh, I heard that this place is really good. And we keep using restaurants for, z- for this example. I heard this place is really good. What do you think? Say, yes, and, <laughs> yes, and, yes, and I think that there are a lot of really good restaurants in this town. Tell me more about what you're actually hoping for, and I'll tell you what I actually think. So you don't have to go negative at all. You can totally circumvent um, having to um, talk anyone else down. I This concept was first kind of like I, I, I generally try to be positive, but I have leaned as fully into this as I can since reading this uh, life hack post some while back where it said um, the best life hack that this person was aware of was only talking positively behind other people's backs so that everyone you meet and hears you talk about other people positively behind their backs sort of assumes that you do that about them too. And I think that you were saying this could be applied anywhere and I agree with you, but I think it's especially true in a town like Asheville where everybody knows everybody. Mm -hmm. It's a small community and word spreads fast. Yep. Yeah. You do not need to make a point by being negative. You can, you can say the exact same things and still position yourself as a hundred percent trustworthy by only, you know, patting people on their back and uh spreading love yeah yeah i agree cool cool all right so our final point to number seven is be real and i have a tendency towards hyperbole i have a tendency to 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 be quite dramatic at times and uh and use i don't know uh, Tony calls everything his favorite. Favorite, favorite. This is my favorite, favorite. And, you know, there's a time and a place, and sometimes I find that my own language is endearing, <laughs> but I also can get how if someone didn't know me, know my personal, like, style, the way I communicate, how someone could be like, oh, this guy's bullshitter. Like, this guy's just lying. Like, he's not, he clearly can't be that good. Yeah, when I when I first, like, met Tony or started dating oh, Tony... <laughs> Sorry, personal story here for a second. Uh-huh. Like he would say stuff like, "Oh, this this bar is my favorite in New York," and then like the next week we'd go somewhere else, and he'd be like, "This is my favorite bar in New York," and I'm just like, "Well, which one is it?" And he's like, "Well, that one was like my favorite in you know Soho, and this one is my favorite in Greenwich Village or whatever it was," and like distinguish them by different categories. So he has a lot of favorites. Anyways, we're off topic. Going back to the point is be yourself, be real, be genuine, because people can tell when you are faking it and when you're trying to be someone else or something else, and that can lose trust. Yeah, and so when talking about yourself as a business, um, the example we use in the in the blog post on this topic is you know, saying something like, we have the best ice cream in town is possible to say if you also have the only ice cream in town. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, yeah. It's, and it's rare that you'll be the only ice cream in town in most towns. Um, and so 
that could be like a red flag type statement. There's nothing wrong with you believing that you have the best ice cream in town, but also like being aware or open to the fact that there are people who are lactose intolerant and there might be uh, um, any number of versions of taste preferences and styles that people are into and uh, whatever else. And so saying like, hey, listen, we absolutely love the ice cream that we sell. We use our family's recipes from uh, four generations back. We source what we identify to be the absolute best natural organic healthy ingredients um, you can come in any day and our staff will teach you exactly how we make our vanilla bean um, you can say any of that and that's real and people are like damn okay yeah this place must be so sick they care a ton yeah going back to when we started thinking about what we wanted our marketing business to be you know in the beginning we were like well we could say that we are you know a design agency but then we were like but we're not a design agency like we don't do you know website design and logo design and all of that stuff at least not yet anyways that's not what our skill sets are um but we are really good at you know consulting with a company on their sales strategy you know, we are really good at looking at communications strategies and, and seeing how there could be improvement there. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing what you are and saying what you are versus trying to pretend to be something else because you think that it's, you know, what your customer wants. Yeah. You know, a different example is we have a new client that is uh, like an Amazon store and at no point in the sales conversations with this client, did we say anything about ever having built or grown a successful Amazon store? That would be a lie. Yeah. That w- we would be lying to them if, if we said, hey, yeah, no, we do this all the time. We're great at building Amazon stores. What we said is like, we have transfer- transferable skills that we've acquired in other side businesses. There's no reason that we have to think that we couldn't also support you as you build an Amazon store. Right. Yeah. And I think that 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 realness and saying, no, we haven't done this before, um, developed a level of trust. And we we won that business um, by being real, by being honest um, and by not being hyperbolic or uh, fabricating versions of our truth. Right. Yeah. I think that's an awesome example. Cool. So. To read them back, uh, give me a second. I have the <laughs> my phone's not so with me. So we have a whole we have a whole blog post about this topic that we wrote a few weeks ago. So we're gonna link to that in the show notes, uh, um, and it has the list of all of the um, beliefs that we stated here, and some examples of them each there. So if you want to go back through and and read them there, um, we will link to that. Um, but other than that. I guess we will close out with the idea that we are testing these these truths ourselves. Um, we're going to be, you know, sharing updates as we develop uh, these ideas, and we'll let you know. And we'd love it if you you joined us in this as well. Yeah, I, that is a kind of the biggest thing. What we're hoping for is that um, you give us feedback on this. You sh- share 
when you see this in action um, online or otherwise, email us, tag us on, on Instagram. Um, this is just something, it was the big idea. It was the thing that we couldn't shake from season one. Uh, Gilly was one of our first episodes. Uh, we saw this piece of paper at East Fork um, really early in kind of like our move into Asheville. And so we've been just kind of on high alert looking for this in action all over the place. Um, and so we'll continue to do that. Uh, we think that our seven uh, truths, as Sarah said it, uh, are kind of action items and, and things that we can all think about. I would love to know maybe what you would add to that or uh, how it's going for you as you try and put it into practice. Um, but yeah, this was, again, it, it was the big idea of season one. I hope that you found it powerful, impactful. I hope that it's um, given you something to think about as you either start your business or grow your business. Um, it's certainly given us a lot to think about. Amen. Amen. So uh, now we'll do the uh, classic episode sign-off stuff, which is if somehow or another you liked this episode and you made it to this point in the podcast, uh, we would love it if you would like or review the podcast uh, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we have some links to it either in the show notes or on our uh, podcast page in the comments. Uh, really appreciate it. It helps with distribution, helping other people to find this uh, podcast, and you kind of sharing the stories of these interviews. Um, so every like, comment, and review is really meaningful. Thank you. And uh, just some news of upcoming stuff. Uh, we'll have one more bonus episode of season one next week uh, we'll be sharing some of our favorite sound bites from each of our interviews uh, so it's a great episode it will be a great episode hopefully if if you haven't listened to all of them and you kind of want to get a sense of which episodes should I listen to which ones are most interesting um, it kind of will give you an overview of all of them mm -hmm. and then after that we will be going right into season two we have a lot of interviews, a lot of really exciting interviews uh, lined up for the next few months. Mm -hmm. And we hope that you'll stay along for the ride. Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that was, what was that, episode 17? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Episode 17. Sarah, high five.